Welcome to The Infinite Jungle, the podcast about the evolution of Ethereum. I'm your host, Christine Kim, VP of Research at Galaxy, and today we're going to be talking about inclusion lists. This is a code change that has been that is in consideration for the Prague Electra upgrade. And while developers are evaluating a number of different priorities for the Prague Electra upgrade, combined upgrade name is Pectra. Um, you might hear me use all three terms <laughs> throughout this episode. Um, but while developers are evaluating a bunch of different code changes for that upgrade, um, this is one that I think is particularly important to um, the value of censorship resistance on Ethereum, which is why I want to get into it, talk a little bit about what it does. Um, and then for the second half of the show, we are going to be joined by my dear, dear friend, Ben Edgington. Um, ben I've known Ben for several years, um, basically ever since I, I started working in the crypto space. Um, he used to be very, up until re recently, he used to be a developer um, for the Teku consensus layer client um, that is owned by Consensus, the Ethereum venture capital company that builds products like MetaMask and, and whatnot. Um, but now he is at Optimism, OP Labs. Um, he is the, the lead technical manager there. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what prompted that transition and um, kind of his thoughts around the L2 rollup um, roll world. Um, because OP Labs builds one of the, the most, like the largest, the most popular um, L2 rollup Optimism. Um, so it's very cool to to um, see him transition, and to and I'm excited to find out more about um, his work and what what prompted that that switch. So we're gonna get into it, but before um, before we we dive into inclusion list and and our conversation with Ben, here's a quick disclaimer. I need to remind you to please refer to the disclaimer linked in the podcast show notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice an offer, recommendation, or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Before I get into inclusion lists, I suppose people listening to the pod or watching the, the video on YouTube will want a quick update on the Denkun upgrade, um, which is the most... Um, which is the next upgrade that's going to happen on Ethereum. Unfortunately, I mean, there's really not much to share. Um, developers had had picked a date for mainnet activation, March 13th, which we talked a little bit about um, on the last episode of this show. And there hasn't been that much change um, since then. Um, client teams are continuing to prepare... Um, prepare their final software releases for the upgrade. Um, client teams had given an update on the call yesterday on all core developers execution call number 181. Um, they shared that, you know, um, they're getting close and, and plan to um, release all the, the final versions of the software needed for the upgrade um, sometime next week. And after that, developers are going to do one final testnet dry run um, with all those final client releases just to make sure that um, those releases are, are good to go and, and good for node operators to be able to use through a mainnet shadow fork. A mainnet shadow fork is basically a type of testnet where you can activate upgrades in an environment that mimics the 
state and the activity that's happening on an existing testnet. So um, developers are going to do a mainnet shadow fork um, of the Dancun upgrade with all the final client releases um, sometime at the end of next week, um, which I think puts it at the 20... Third, the 23rd. I'm checking my notes here. Um, <laughs> Friday, the 23rd. Um, and and once the mainnet shadow fork happens, they they see that the upgrade goes well and there's no major issues with the client releases. The Monday thereafter, after on the 23rd, the Ethereum Foundation will likely push out a blog post officially announcing the upgrade, officially saying that, you know, March 13th is the date and node operators, please all upgrade your software before that date so that we can um, see the Denkun upgrade go live. There's not that much to discuss anymore around Denkun. It's going to it's going to happen. And um, developers are really just kind of at the near front finish line in terms of preparing what they need to prepare. On the other hand, the upgrade after Denkun, Pectra, is very much still up in the air. And there's quite a bit of, of discussion and debate on what exactly should be included in the Pectra upgrade, in the next upgrade. Um, there's a lot of competing priorities um, on the call, on the most recent dev call, ACDE 181. Um, there was nine EIPs um, that was that was discussed on the call for whether or not they should be included in Pectra. Um, developers shared uh, lots of different sentiment and 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 shared and and expressed um, you know positive sentiments around certain EIPs for inclusion. And there's a lot of debate, particularly on the timing of this upgrade. Um, not only is it debated what should be included in the upgrade, but kind of similarly, if the upgrade is going to happen sometime this year after the Denkun upgrade, um, then what gets included into Pectra um, has to be a lot more narrow in scope. Um, and so developers, while talking about the content of the upgrade, is also talking about the timing of the upgrade. Do we really want the upgrade to happen this year in 2024? Um, because if not, then we probably have more bandwidth to include more EIPs into the Pectra upgrade. So both of those discussions, I think, are really top of mind right now. Um, and one of the um, one of the code changes that I really wanted to get into uh, very quickly at the top part of this this show um, is inclusion lists. Um, it wasn't discussed super heavily on ACDE 181 on the call yesterday, but it is one that developers are talking about um, quite a bit. And there was a, a separate meeting that happened today. We're recording this show um, on the Friday after ACDE 181. And there was a breakout meeting that happened today just for inclusionless, just to talk about the details for its implementation. Um, inclusionless are a way for validators to be able to express um, certain transactions that need to be included in a block. Um, and the reason and express those those choices, express those transactions um, to a third party block builder. Um, in case people who are listening to this episode aren't aware, um, being able to include certain transaction in a, transactions in a block, exclude them, order them in a certain way, it's a phenomenal, it's a very valuable power. Um, there's a lot of, of money that you can make from ordering transactions, from excluding certain transactions, but including others. And that kind of power on 
Ethereum is held and, and given to validators, validator node operators. They are the block producers. Um, but in an attempt to kind of ensure that the that validators and validator node operators don't become too sophisticated as actors and um, you know, one validator node operator becomes um, extremely more sophisticated than other validator node operators, creating centralization of who gets to build blocks on Ethereum. Um, the way that Ethereum is structured is that the responsibility of creating valuable blocks and um, producing blocks that contain additional rewards by rewarding transactions, which is also called MEV, um, that responsibility is handed off to another party or can be handed off to another party. No validator is forced to kind of rely on third-party block builders, but many, many, many validators do that um, because when they do that, they're able to earn um, additional rewards um, from the block. So validators, um, they, they have this relationship with, with builders, and builders are the sophisticated entities that can execute um, very sophisticated strategies around what makes a block valuable, how to earn additional rewards through that block by including and reordering certain transactions. And there's a party that sits in the middle between validators and builders, and that's the relay. Um, and the relay is really the, the um, software that ensures that blocks, uh, not blocks, that builders and validators are communicating fairly with one another, um, that no one party is front-running the other. Um, so that's a little bit of an overview. You've got builders, relays, and validators. And um, what inclusion lists do is ensure that validators can express to the builder, look, um, these set of transactions need to be included in the block. And why would a validator want to do that? Perhaps it's because the builder is censoring transactions. Perhaps the builder is operated by a regulated entity that is, is not able to include transactions that are interacting with an address that is on the OFAC sanctions list. Um, since, you know, since 2018, um, there, there has been this concern, um, especially because the U.S. Treasury has started to include certain cryptocurrency addresses on the sanctions, on the U.S. sanctions list that have caused um, big entities like cryptocurrency exchanges um, from interacting with those addresses. Any transactions going to those addresses, um, leaving those addresses, they're not serviced by crypto exchanges or, or entities. Um, and there is a way to kind of track on chain whether or not these transactions are being included or excluded in a block. And Ethereum developers are certain that builders on Ethereum are censoring transactions. Um, certain relays are censoring transactions um, and most likely certain validators too. And so what inclusion list tries to do is to give that power back to validators to say, look, if your builder is censoring transactions, giving you a block that um, does that has purposefully excluded these these um, these sanctioned transactions and addresses, excluded them, um, then you have the power to force inclusion of these transactions back into the block. Um, and technically, as I said, validators don't need to rely on third-party builders. They can do that anyways now um, by not 
relying on builders or relays. They can just build their block locally, include whatever transactions that they want. Um, but in doing so, the validator, because it's not a sophisticated entity like a builder, is unable to earn the additional rewards that come with MEV. Um, so by still allowing validators to interact with builders and do so in a way that they can enforce inclusion of certain transactions, then the validator can not only get their additional rewards, their MEV, but they can also ensure that they are building a block that is uncensored. Um, so, you know, as I'm explaining this to you, you might think, oh, that's great, you know, inclusion list, woohoo, you know, we can create these blocks that are, are uncensored, we can help um, make Ethereum more censorship resistant than it is today. But one of the things that I have concern about with this design is would not validators, um, would not validators kind of opt out of the feature of inclusion lists? Um, there are not a ton of validators that are run on Ethereum that are run by independent at-home stakers. Ben, who we're going to be talking to later on this episode, runs his own um, independent validator. Um, but most, the majority of people that are, are you know, that have validators or are running validators are running it um, as a professional entity, as a staking as a service provider, um, as a staking pool, as a, a infrastructure pr provider. These are the vast majority of validators are being run by regulated entities. And I can't imagine that that if they had the choice to include transactions that are that should be censored according to US law, that they would then, still opt in to including those transactions in a block, especially if there are regulatory concerns around that. So I think that's like one area that really needs to be thought through a little bit more heavily of will inclusion lists really improve the censorship of censorship resistance of Ethereum in practice, given that the vast majority of validators on Ethereum are already being operated by regulated entities. And those regulated entities are probably um, relying on the builder or the relay to censor those transactions. And if the onus had fallen to the validator node operator to um, censor or not censor those transactions, I wonder if validator node operators would choose to not censor, given that they are regulated entities. Um, I think that one of the, the questions beyond this that's, that's more, um, that's another important question to ask and that takes a little bit of a step back is how can Ethereum encourage an, uh, independent at-home staking? Um, so many people don't have the technical know-how to be able to operate their own validator. Um, many people don't have desire to, to operate the software to be able to connect to the Ethereum blockchain and do so in a way that um, and do so in a way that uh, requires them to kind of manage all their private keys and and make sure that their validator constantly has uptime. Um, and many people would just rather kind of kind of have someone more sophisticated or professional do it for them. And so I think there's a broader question of like how do we make it easy for any user around the world, not just in the US, but like everywhere globally, how do we make it easy for people to verify the blockchain, to be able to connect to Ethereum, to be able to um, protect the censorship resistance of Ethereum um, by operating their own independent validators and be able to verify um, using their own own devices that they have at home, um, you know, the, the validity of the blockchain. So. Ah, so it's a big topic. Um, I think censorship resistance is really one that um, 
beyond inclusion lists and beyond this one up upgrade, um, Prague Electra developers are going to continue to be talking about. Um, but I hope this this short kind of explainer of what inclusion lists is helpful to you, my listeners, um, to be able to engage in this discussion of should this be an upgrade that is prioritized for Prague Electra, and if not for Prague Electra, then when, and what versions of this inclusion list design um, should de should developers kind of kind of prioritize or think think more through. Um, so we're going to talk to a former Ethereum core developer. Um, actually, I hope Ben still is going to be participating in Ethereum core development, but we're going to go chat with Ben now um, and talk a little bit about this further with him. Let's go chat with Ben. All right, everyone, back to the show. And I have with me Ben Edgington, my dear, dear friend, like I said at the top of the show. Um, ben and I go way back, and we used to have a <laughs> podcast together called Mapping Out Eve 2. Those were fun days, Ben. Welcome to the Infinite Jungle Show. Christine, it's uh, wonderful to be back uh, with you, to get the team back together. Just uh, love it. And enjoying a new podcast is great. I love hearing you go through the um, upgrades. You're so much into the detail. It's uh, inspiring. So uh, oh, thanks for doing that. Thank you. I so appreciate it. And I got to say, Ben, I really do miss, um, you know, our shows together aren't now in our episodes. And I feel like ever since, um, you know, I transitioned over from Coindesk to Galaxy, um, you know, I was thinking a little bit about, oh, like we should, um, I should bring back another podcast that goes into the technical details of what's happening on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. um, and so Infinite Jungle is really kind of born out of mapping out ETH2. I think all of the good <laughs> times that we had there helped me to continue to think like we need to keep something like that going. Um, so it, it really was, um, it really was inspired from from what we what we the show we had together. <laughs> we love the technical details, don't we? Yeah, and I, I gotta say, I mean, now for for you, one of the things I wanted to to mention for to to our listeners today is that um, Ben, um, for the longest time, was an Ethereum core developer, building one of the consensus layer clients of Ethereum Teku, um, but recently announced uh, that um, moving to OP Labs, which is um, the development team behind Optimism, a layer two rollup. This sounds like a very big transition to me, going from you know consensus layer client building. To to now a layer two roll-up. Ben, tell me a little bit about what prompted this move. Mm. Yeah, thanks, uh, Christine. It, it it has been, in some ways it's a big jump and in some ways it's, it's not a big jump. Um, so uh, yeah, I was at Consensus uh, for uh, over six years uh, in the end. Um, I built the R&D team there, then moved over to building Teku. And really my passion for the last six or seven years has been Two things, uh, get Ethereum onto proof of stake, that's number one, and make Ethereum scale. And that's really been uh, absolutely underpinning my, um, you know, what I, what I wake up in the morning thinking about uh, for the last you know, six or seven years. Um, and so we delivered proof of stake, what, a year and a half ago, uh, and we did the merge, and that was great, and that just felt like a huge moment, a, a you know, massive accomplishment by everybody in the community. Um, and you know, Teku, which was um, something I, I started, but you know, was built built by the dev teams. Um, that uh, yeah was a key part of delivering the merge, and I'm very, very proud of that. So, yeah. but but since then, uh, the L1 sort of scaling narrative has has changed. Really, it's um, L1 things have revolved around you know, different concerns, um, and my passion's been about scaling stuff. And so, I just thought maybe it's time for a change. 
uh, opportunity came up at OP Labs and uh, talked to them. And, you know, if you could bottle enthusiasm uh, and kind of, you know, waft it around, that would be uh, OP Labs. They are um, brilliant engineers. Um, uh, Adrian, who worked on Teku, not going to lie, uh, he, he left and joined Optimism a year ago. Uh, one of the best engineers I know. Um, and, you know, I'm just delighted to be working with him again. Um, and there, there was a lot to like about OP Labs. And I, I don't see it as a different mission, right? It's all about scaling Ethereum. I, I don't kind of feel like I've transitioned away from Ethereum core dev stuff. Um, I feel very much that I'm still doing that, but I'm not a layer one core dev, but still mm. delivering the Ethereum mission, you know, scale the thing, um, yeah. be the be the settlement layer for the planet. There are layer two rollup teams like Arbitrum that have consensus layer client teams like Arbitrum mm -hmm. has Prism. Um, is OP Labs in your transition? It, does that kind of indicate that OP Labs is trying to build out their <laughs> own consensus layer client? Or are, is your work really going to be on the layer two rollup stack? Yeah, not aware of any any plan to build, uh, build out a consensus client or to own a consensus client yet. No, very much around uh, delivering the super chain mm -hmm. vision, uh, getting that out of the door. So my, my role is technical program manager. I like to emphasize the, the technical part of that. I'm a program manager that's technical. I'm not, you know, not just a program manager that happens to be managing technical stuff. Um, and and yeah, yeah, it's very much about, you know, facilitating, helping um, the uh, OP Labs to play their role in delivering this, the Superchain future. That, that's the sort of immediate yeah. goal. Yeah. What is the Superchain future? What is What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, so the Superchain is um, part of the optimism stack future so optimism has this um this technology they call the the op stack which runs you know the uh, op mainnet and a bunch of other chains like base uh, from coinbase uh, and the super chain is a sort of coordinated um collection of those chains in parallel under a single governance mechanism which is you know the the, the decentralized governments of uh, uh, optimism foundation but also with um you know ultimately uh, cross-chain message passing and quite tightly coupled chains uh, and then the chain becomes very much a sort of commodity you've got uh, each chain i i think of it as a sort of supermassive processor in a in a computer you know you, uh, everything is multi-threaded now yeah back when i was uh young uh processors were single threaded and just monolithic and now you know processor has 12 16 32 cores uh whatever you know even my laptop's got like uh, 16 cores or something mm. and it is just like adding cores and threads uh on, and that's on a like processor. computational so, energy the core is, is yeah what? so you're parallelizing so yeah. and in that sense it's kind of similar to the original if you recall christine the original um three-phase roadmap for eth2 mm. where we we were to do data sharding mm. and then we were going to deliver execution sharding it's kind of like execution sharding um in, in a sense but but uh, without being enshrined in the ethereum based protocol so uh, i see it as a successor in, in in a sense to that execution sharding model um so yeah it delivers parallelism and scale and a very convenient um uh, environment to deploy chains and lots of opportunities for cross-chain communication and so on but i'm only a week into the job so i can't speak authoritatively about any of this stuff i'm, I'm learning the ropes just as much as everybody but uh, it's uh, yeah very exciting 
that's a whole new design landscape, I got to say. And the amount of conviction that I hear from not just layer two roll-up teams, because of course they would be convicted about the layer two vision and the super chain mm -hmm. vision and being able to scale through roll-ups, but also from Ethereum core developers when they talk about the Denkuna upgrade, about EIP 4844 really supporting layer two roll-ups um, a lot better um, by allowing them to be able to, um, you know, commit be, be able to batch transactions and and commit them down to ethereum at a cheaper cost but i wonder how how certain are we that layer twos are the way to scale ethereum i know that your second goal you know after getting ethereum to proof of stake which amazing we we achieved that um technically you guys achieved that um really didn't take much part in that but um the next step is is scaling ethereum and i wonder if layer twos i mean what is the how convicted are we that layer twos are the way to go because i think layer twos clearly there's so much experimentation that still needs to happen so much technology around l2s that have yet to really be um, tested, really um, yet to be figured out. So many questions around layer two interoperability, um, latencies about questions of whether or not layer twos will even have the censorship resistance, decentralization of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried if layer twos are the, the end game for Ethereum scalability. I mean, mm. how convicted are you about this, Ben? <laughs> oh. I don't think we have any other ideas. I mean, I think this is it. This is the roadmap we committed to uh, way back when, you know, Vitalik did his uh, roll-up centric roadmap post. I mean, that was predated, um, uh, you know, the, the idea of Ethereum L1 being a data availability layer primarily it had come up a, a, a year or two earlier than that. And uh, yeah, I, th I think scaling at L1 um, enshrining it at, at L1 is a dead end. I think um, it was uh, it was right. It was a very Ethereum thing to do to sort of unleash the innovation um, by saying we're not going to hold this close and just try to build this slowly in in L1 and enshrine it. We're we're going to say pivot to the roll-up centric roadmap and unleash the, the the brilliance of these L2 teams and the engineering talent and 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 the vision and yeah so on, on the one hand you've got the kind of the engineering side of things just so many teams building in different ways exploring the space um, and delivering the innovation but on the other hand um, it it it's a technical delivery the technical aspect doing it in a sort of monolithic way just look, seems to be a dead end. So, uh, yeah, I, we, we don't have any other ideas. I mean, you know, the, the alternatives like cranking up TPS by having a big, bigger nodes um, is not an Ethereum direction. You know, we, 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 we love the small stakers. Um, it's yeah, seen as part of the DNA uh, and rightly so. Yeah, I, I do want to get into, um, you know, at home independent stakers, because at the top of this call, I talked a little bit about inclusion lists and um, the importance of of trying to protect Ethereum censorship resistance. Um, but I wasn't mm. sure if inclusion lists really are the best way to do that, given that so many validators are run by node operator professional staking entities that are regulated and um, that 
are not at home. I mean, you are you are one of the few, Ben. You are one of the few that <laughs> operate a an at home independent staker. Do you connect to MEV Boost? Do you get MEV I blocks? I wow. don't. I build. Uh, uh, you know, on the rare occasions blocks come along these days, uh, I I am building my own blocks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of activity is becoming. Uh, Fewer in number, and I, I'm not sure if inclusion lifts are really the the be all end all to encourage um, vanilla vanilla building or or you know blocks that um, can contain censored um, censoring transactions or censoring activity. Um, but I, I I on this topic of kind of independent at home stakers and priorities for how to to um, improve Ethereum censorship resistance is from your view and, and from kind of all the experience that you've had in the core development sphere on Ethereum um, is to what extent do you think that inclusion list should be a priority? To what extent do you think some of these other EIPs that are being debated for Prog Electra should be, um, should be, you know, prioritized for the upgrade? I think developers mm. are really at a crossroads here of like what to include, what not to include. Mm. And and also about the timing. Should it be in this year, or should we try and and figure things yeah. out for twenty twenty five? It's big questions, and I feel like your voice mm. still ma like has carries a lot of weight. So I'd be curious <laughs> to know what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, it would be nice to think so. I mean, I I'm in the kind of fork early, fork often camp, which um, I I would love to see us have a cadence of more frequent upgrades to the to the core protocol and including um, more of the sort of long tail of of EIPs that are never quite important enough to include in a, a major upgrade, but just you know sit on the shelf for a long time. I, I'd really like to see a more a frequent cadence of upgrade and you know people talk about the overhead of the coordination overhead and and everything um uh and you know it is it is extra work but that's um just a muscle that we need to exercise more um and we have great tooling now i mean things have come on in leaps and bounds in the last two three years you know the ef devops people are, are wizards um and the whole shadow forking thing and the testing frameworks and the test nets that we have you know i i seriously think we can reduce the overhead of of doing more frequent updates and uh, and we should uh, so i'd be all for a 2024 um uh, upgrade and we that seems to be a direction of travel it's kind of hard to read the kind of cordes meeting fully but um the sense i'm getting is that we're moving in the direction of of having a lighter weight 2024 upgrade before putting in the you know some big things maybe next year um and yeah, I think inclusion lists um, are going to be important. Some forced censorship resistance is going to be important just because, um, yeah, the, the end game is that we have a small number of block builders who build blocks in the network. Um, the, the idea that we all build blocks at home is is a nice pipe dream, but it is, is not the reality in you know, any year's time. Um, we are going to rely on specialized block builders and we're kind of in that place now, just de facto through um, MevBoost. Um, so in, in that world, yeah, the block builders don't have a lot of freedom. Um, they can only really order transactions or censor transactions. Um, so, uh, uh, and the thing we really care about is censorship, um, censoring transactions. That's uh, what we um want to prevent them from doing so we need mechanisms in protocol to do that so and uh one good candidate is the inclusion list um i'm not sure we've necessarily landed on the right solution yet but we're iterating towards it yeah 
I want to push back a little bit on the fork fast and fork often. I mean, mm. I, I hear you. And I got to say, Ben, there was a moment on one of these calls when we were talking about Dankun and the activation of the Dankun upgrade. You really pushed it forward. Like <laughs> developers were very close to kind of like delaying it another week or month. Mm. But I, you, you, you were really on the ball about, no, guys, we got to do this um, sooner rather than later. And with Pectra, with the Pectra upgrade, I think there are candidates EIP candidates for Pectra that hold a lot of significance in that like inclusion lists are about the censorship resistance of Ethereum. Mm. Censoring activity is happening at a wide scale, large scale now. Validator, the size of Ethereum's validator set, um, that's a problem now mm. as in like it, it, there is really no um, mitigation for if the validator set grows behind beyond like 1.5 million validators and like the network would be in, in major trouble. There are certain upgrades that I think are pressing, are, are urgent. And I don't know if, you know, trying to schedule the upgrade earlier and cutting out these kind of important high priority issues just mm -hmm. because they can't be ready um, you know, within 2024, just like punting them to 2025 to another upgrade is the best way to go. Um, I, I mean, what are your thoughts around that? Of like, some of mm. these changes will take longer than 2024 to get ready, mm. but they are higher priority than say like the small EIPs, like BLS compile signatures mm. that you could probably get in the next couple months. But like, is that really mm. what we should be working on in comparison to say like Max EB? Yeah, so I mean, the big ones are like uh, Vocal Trees, um, Max EB, um, the EOF thing has been on the shelf for a long time. Um, the uh, I think you know teams. You know, I've come out of one of the dev teams. I um, you know led them for like five years. Uh, they have we we have capacity to to do more. We can work in parallel, right? I mean, in any team, you're not going to devote the entire team for the next year to doing Vocal Trees. You know, there is capacity to do. Uh, other things alongside that in parallel and to deliver, you know, uh, upgrades. Um, the alternative is that we roll up everything that's pending into a massive upgrade. And then the testing just becomes much harder. You've got so many more interdependent components um, and, you know, a much, um, much riskier upgrade in some ways. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's, it's a judgment call, right. Uh, as to, um, which is preferred. I I I, I prefer to, yeah, um, move fast and not break things. <laughs> so, but you know, I think we're we're experienced enough um, now to to safely deliver faster upgrades and work in parallel on on different things. And yeah, big things like vocal trees, um, very intrusive into the execution layer. But on the consensus layer, we can you know, that barely affects us. I mean, we can uh, do other things in parallel to that. I feel like I've tried on this show, um, even though this show is very young, um, <laughs> I've tried on this show to explain what vertical trees are. Um, could you give like two sentences or like, you know, on what vertical trees? Because I, I get the general idea that, you know, smaller proof sizes to mm. verify Ethereum state is great. Um, because then you can have like maybe more lightweight nodes. But then, mm. you know, Verkle gets kind of bundled in with a lot of buzzwords like statelessness. And I just, mm -hmm. I need, please give me your wisdom here. I think this will be very helpful for very many episodes to come. And we're going to keep talking about Verkle. So I need your technical know-how around this. 
Oh, boy. Uh, well, I'll do my best. Uh, so what's the end goal? The end goal is exactly what you said, stateless. So the biggest burden on uh, running uh, an execution client today is uh, managing, navigating this massive state of Ethereum. And this state is the account data, the smart contract, smart contract storage um, uh, that, that, that sits there. Uh, and every time a transaction is done, you have to sort of uh, go through this entire state to find the right bits of, of data and um, uh, update them. And this is slow because this is a huge database. Um, and so if we want to be able to run nodes on very, very lightweight hardware, we basically need to relieve them of this burden of, of the um, disk access times and also storing the sheer amount of data that's required, you know, um, half a terabyte or whatever it is now. Um, so one way to do that is with every transaction, you send to the network all the data necessary to validate that the transaction is valid. Um, and so, uh, and you can do that by sending the, um, the, the data, uh, the bits of data, like the account balances. So if I want to send you, you know, one, one ETH, I send uh, a proof that I've got one ETH and I send mm. um, uh, uh, a transaction that, to you. So basically, all I need to do is include a proof that I, I've got one ETH and that, that after the transaction, my balance has decreased by, by one ETH. And so I, so the, the, the node that's validating that only has to check those bits of data. It doesn't have to have that in its storage at all times. It can just check that, say, yep, that's fine. That was a good tra transaction and go through the block and check all the transactions and do that. So in principle, we can do that today. Um, we have this Merkle Patricia tree structure within Ethereum, and you can construct proofs with it. But the proofs are very, very large, uh, okay. so we'd, that would increase block size massively uh, and make it cumbersome to send them around the network. So the uh, idea of Merkle trees is to make these proofs very small, so you can construct a kind of self-verifying block almost. It contains all the data and all the proofs you need so that my node just needs to go through the block and say, yep, 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 all good, and doesn't need to store anything locally at all about the the, the um, um, contents of the chain storage. So this is uh, the chain state. So so this is very attractive to do. Um, and it's the vertical tree is a kind of cryptographic um, construction, which uh, we, we needn't go into, but it uses, you know, elliptic curve pairings and stuff like that. Uh, good, uh, deep crypto voodoo. Gotcha. Um, and, and, you know, just on a side note, I'm really happy that crypto started using proper cryptography now. I mean, for years <laughs> we were just using kind of signatures and hashes that have been around since the 1970s. So finally we're using some uh, funky cri cryptography. So Merkle Patricia uh, trees are not like the top end. In terms of cryptography, mm, no, not really. They're oh. just using uh, hashings, uh, hashes which have been around for decades. So, uh, gotcha. yeah, <laughs> that's that's so uh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah I, I, hopefully, that explanation is not too obscure. That can no, uh, I thought that was really helpful. Useful. So, right now, nodes need to store all of that data because they mm. can't just generate a very succinct proof to be able to prove that like, yes, Ben can send me this amount of ETH on the network. They have to just mm. continue to store all the state because there's mm. no way to just verify the actions or verify the transactions with, um, 
with a small cryptographic proof. That's why nodes have mm. such large data storage capacities because they have to maintain mm. the entire state, check check through their logs and be like, yep, that actually happened, but mm. rely on their own database. Whereas after Verbal, yeah. because you have these proofs or like the proof sizes are smaller, you don't actually have to hold any of that state. You can just prove it using the Verbal tree structure. Is that right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's kind of crazy that, you know, um, Metal Albert, my node here, the, whom you're familiar with, um, you know, it contains, it contains the balances of every single Ethereum account that's ever been, um, you know, ever been created, ever had ETH in it, um, uh, you know, along with every single ERC20 token that, that's ever been created. Even though I personally are, um, are going to ever only ever interact with a tiny, tiny fraction of them, and you know that's that's massive overhead that that um, my node has to store just because it has to validate any transaction that comes in. So if the transaction comes in with its own proof of validity, then it's then uh, it all becomes very easy. Wow, fascinating. Okay, now I think I really do. I can't. I do have a stronger grasp on why Virgil is cool because for the longest time, I think. My stance, and I think still to this extent, I, I don't find Virgil like that urgent of an upgrade compared to some of the other ones. Mm. And I've heard developers say that it's a very involved upgrade. It's going to be a very yeah. hard one to to move forward with. Um, but yeah. in in terms of like the the data um, and and running, you know, your own node, um, I know that Dankun also increases kind of like the capacity in which your node needs to operate. And I hear mm -hmm. that for the transition for Virgil, there's going to be a period where nodes have to kind of work a lot harder. Um, mm -hmm. Are you concerned at all that like, in the meantime, before statelessness is reached, which who knows when that could mm -hmm. be, um, that at home stakers are just it's just a lot harder. It's going to become a lot harder to to run your node and to operate your node on Ethereum. Yeah, this is one of the um, some of the background to the um, block gas limit conversation that's been going on for the last uh, couple of months, and uh, there is a reluctance amongst core devs to to speak up and say, you know, let's double the block gas limit, even though a lot of people in the community are saying that, uh, that this is fine. And, you know, simplistic metrics indicate that we could operate at a much higher block gas limit. So the, the problem is that the more you raise the gas limit of a block, the more the state size grows. And so the more overhead on on each individual node and the homestakers, you know, at some point begin to struggle. You know, we're already talking about making a four terabyte um, uh, NVMe drive, you know, uh, pretty much the standard. Um, and so the attraction of, of the Verkle, uh upgrade is that you could then, uh, in principle, in increase the block gas limit dramatically without impacting the, the home stakers. So for, for the time being, keeping the block gas limit relatively low or, you know, not... Um, increasing it uh in an ad hoc way is a way to protect the the, the small stakers and you know keep that decentralization uh, in ethereum um but it's not viable long term at some point we need to crank it up so uh, uh and the response to that is 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 the vocal approach where um small stakers you know can just get rid of the state don't don't need to worry about it at all and then they don't become a blocker on increasing the block gas limit gotcha yeah that makes sense um I like it. Conservative, conservative in the short run, 
we can go wild after vocal. Mm. Yeah, so that's some of the urgency around doing the the, the vocal transition is 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 simply to um, uh, uh, allow us to increase the block gas limit, you know, and stop having these conversations all the time where it feels like you know devs against users. Um, yeah, but so okay, so this is probably going to be my last question because um, I know we're at time and. Um, I literally asked you for just until noon, and now we're over time anyways. Um, <laughs> Verkle and increasing block sizes, increasing Ethereum's basically execution layer capacity, being able to have scalability on the base layer. There's a little bit of an identity crisis that I think is happening on Ethereum right now. It's, it's um, there's some upgrades that really would improve the user experience on Ethereum. But there's, again, you know, your vision of trying to scale Ethereum through L2s. Um, mm. I'm concerned that there's difficulty now around the narrative of Ethereum. What does it mean to really be Ethereum aligned? Because some of these upgrades make <laughs> Ethereum a better execution layer. And some of these code changes are very focused on rollups. Very Like mm -hmm. EIP 4844 is a great example. But EOF, mm -hmm. not so much. Verkle, maybe not so much. I mean, it's it's... I'm I'm a little bit confused that like where <laughs> to what extent is Ethereum going to continue to be the world's best general purpose blockchain mm -hmm. is are we truly throwing away that vision because then I feel like Ethereum doesn't really have an advantage over other mm -hmm. DA layers like Celestia so I can see why we want to keep that going but I just is is that not part of the picture anymore <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, Christine. <laughs> Doing that succinctly, we'll need another uh, podcast. But uh, uh, so Ethereum is base layer L1 plus rollups. I mean, this is you know the vision. So I I think putting a distinction, a a hard line between L1 and the rollup ecosystem is is um, is not the right way to think about it. So. Uh, and I, I mean, I can speak um, for optimism in in a sense. Yeah, it's we have um, we're very intentionally extremely EVM aligned. So in the sense that the optimism core uh, protocol depends on the L1 core dev process. You know, there's a sort of feedback loop here. So you know, I still attend the core dev meetings because they have a direct impact on the core protocol of optimism as as well. And you know, I feel that uh, as part of that ecosystem, that 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 we should feed back into that process. So, um, and we and we can do both. I mean, we can improve the L one uh, at the same time, and and if we're improving the EVM, that then feeds up into the rollups that have decided to remain uh, EVM um, tightly coupled to the EVM. Um, we can improve scalability on the L1, but it's only ever going to be linear improvements. It's, you know, it might be a, a factor of two here and a factor of four there or something, but it's not going to be 10x, 100x, 1000x, which is what we really need. Um, for that, we need to get into the um, the ultimate data availability scaling and the whole parallelism through the rollups mm. uh, thing is, is, is not going to be happening at the base layer. So, uh, yeah, we can do all these things. And in my mind, this, this is all Ethereum. This is, you know, it, it's all one thing. It's all part of the vision and part of the roadmap. Yeah. It's a big roadmap and constantly changing. It's hard to keep up with. I got to tell you, Ben. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell but me about I'm, it. <laughs> I'm, yeah. But I'm really glad that you're, um, 
that yeah that now i have another incredible person who's going to be super knowledgeable about l2s and and especially ops like super chain vision as it becomes more concrete because it's going to become more important and the way that you explained ethereum 2.0 technical details gosh like if knowing that that kind of translation is going to happen now for l2s i'm very happy so <laughs> i'll um, do my best thank you christine yes i'm i'm learning fast i've deliberately ignored the whole l2 ecosystem until uh now which uh because there was enough going on at l1 but uh, I'm, I'm learning fast it's a bit of a whirlwind okay thank you so much ben i'm so glad that you were able to join me on infinite jungle and it's been a very as always enlightening conversation about not just ethereum technical specs but also just Ethereum vision and values. Um, very excited to, to hear more about your role too about, um, at OP Labs. And um, I hope you'll come back on the show too. I would love that, uh, Christine. Uh, thank you as ever. And uh, really appreciate your summaries of the core dev schools. Uh, they're such great help. Sometimes yeah, in the course of the meeting, you're so in the weeds, uh, it's hard to um, you know, fully follow what's going on. So uh, your summaries are superb and I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I try. I try. Um, thank you to all my li listeners um, for the Infinite Jungle Pod. Um, this has been another episode. Um, please be sure to like, subscribe, click the buttons that make you interact with the show. Um, and we'll be back again next week um, with another episode. Um, thank you all. Have a good week.